Morning, Shabbat Shalom. So glad um, we have a decent crowd here today, given the snow. We're the true warriors today, I guess. I'm going to be honest, um, today I want to speak from my heart. So this isn't going to be a script, this isn't going to be heavy on scripture. I'm not going to have PowerPoints. It'll be something that's been weighing on my heart and something that I think affects all of us as people and people of God. So in the past 20 years or so, and I'm a newsaholic type person, I continually have seen something that just rips my heart apart. And we all have, mass murders. I remember Columbine, a high school. We all know Sandy Hook, an elementary school. Virginia Tech, I don't know if you remember that one, a university. Fort Hood, a military base. Las Vegas, there was an outdoor concert in Sutherland Springs, a church. These were not, this is not exclusive events. These are just a smattering of events, each occurring at different places where we expect to feel safe. And each time one of these events occurs, there's this usual finger pointing. Guns, mental illness, culture. But then, you know, I got thinking. Not every gun owner is a mass murderer. Otherwise, we'd have many more of them. And not every mentally ill person commits a mass murder, or we'd all be dead by now. Um, and not every mentally ill person who has access to guns commits murder or mass murder. So it has to go beyond guns. It has to go beyond mental illness and culture. There's something more going on. Now, I was in Boston beginning of October. I was getting ready to prepare to give a keynote address at a conference when the news came about the Las Vegas shooting. And on the way home from Boston, which you know is a long ride, but I was leaving during rush hour, so it was a longer-than-usual ride, I was praying. I was asking God, why? Because this makes no sense. Why is this happening? And as I was driving, I felt I got the, an answer from God. I'm not saying it's the only answer, but an answer. You see, we as people are afflicted with the disease. This disease is worse than cancer, ALS, and other horrible diseases. Now, before you're shocked, listen fully to what I'm saying. You see, cancer, ALS, and other illnesses, they ravage the body. But this disease destroys our soul our very being, who we are. This disease affects how we act, affects our thought processes, and how we react to real and perceived slights and offenses. This disease is called brokenness. Now, brokenness is a noun for the word broken and is defined in many ways, but the most interesting definitions I found are fragmented, fractured, not functioning properly, out of working order. And I will say unequivocally, because I know myself and my family, I know a lot of people, that I believe everybody in this room and beyond has some kind of brokenness in their lives, whether we're willing to admit it or not. I'm willing to admit I am broken in many ways, and I'll talk more about it later. So I want you to think about what brokenness is. It's like glass. So you drop a glass on the floor, maybe it chips and cracks, and if you don't repair it, what happens? It gets worse and worse and worse until the glass is no longer usable. Or think about this, your windshield. How many of you have had a crack in your windshield? And you can call Safe Light Glass, you know, that nice commercial, and they'll come in, they can fix it. But if you don't fix it, what happens? It grows grows and grows, and then eventually the whole windshield has to be replaced. And you have to replace it with new glass. And that got me thinking to the scripture where Yeshua said, you can't pour new wine into old wineskins. Same with glass. You can't keep using an old broken glass. You have to get a new one. 
So how did this break occur? How did people become so broken? What happened? Now, many believers will point to Adam and Eve in the scriptures, and that's true. We know the scriptures say that Eve was tempted, or I call cajoled by the serpent, to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, so she could be like God. And today you hear that the serpent's name was Satan, and that may be the case. However, this was a fun thing for my family. We started looking into this a little bit. So the word Satan's really in Hebrew, it's Satan, and all it means is adversary. It's not a proper name like um, Jacob or Jared or Ron. It's an adversary. And for many years, people are being taught that Satan is this personal being roaming the earth, forcing people to sin. We've seen the portrayals, you know, the pitchfork, the tail. Uh, Sorry to say, I don't think that's what he looks like or what Satan is. So who is this adversary? Who is it? And you don't find it in the Torah. You don't find very much mention of who he could be. But you have to go to pro. I'm sorry, you have to go to the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 28. And there's a prophecy against the king of Tyre. But if you read the language, this is not about an earthly king, but maybe someone possessed by something greater. You see, the prophecy talks about this king walking among the cherubim, being the signet of perfection and perfect in beauty. I know a lot of world, I've seen a lot of world leaders over the years. That does not match any of them. It says he was in Eden, the garden of God as a gem. He was anointed as a cherub. He was blameless. Then unrighteousness was found in him. He became filled with violence and sin and cast out as a profane thing from the mountain of God. While he was prophesying against the king of Tyre, I've read um, commentaries that say the king of Tyre was actually possessed or was, uh, was this adversary. The adversary was in him. And so Ezekiel is trying to show us who this adversary is. The adversary, of course, the Satan, a being who was with God as a great, if not one of the greatest angels, a cherubim, who was cast out as a profane thing from the mountain of God. So he was cast out from God's presence, not to what we know as hell with the pitchfork and, you know, people walking in, he's prodding them and running a business. He was cast out of heaven. And imagine this, if you got cast out of somewhere, how would you feel? Angry, upset. And so the Satan used it this time and made it his mission to break anything that God did, including God's creation, and turn it against God. So seeing that God created a man and a woman, the adversary either possessed the serpent or became like the serpent and used his knowledge to get God's creation to disobey God by promising them they wouldn't die and they'd be like God. Now something, I'm going off what I wrote here, but something that I noticed is if you notice in Revelation when the devil, when the end time, the serpent is cast into hell. And so I find it interesting you have that, the serpent here at the beginning, the serpent at the end. And I believe it's the Satan, the adversary of God. So once he succeeded, the first chip in the glass was made and he would continue chipping at that glass, growing the break until the glass would have to be made new. If you read through the Bible, through the Tanakh, you'll see this. Look at Cain killing Abel. Why? Because God looked more favorable on Abel's offerings. I think it was the adversary, the Satan, whispering in Cain's ear, 
the only way to resolve this was to kill Abel, because if Abel's gone, then God has to look favorably upon you. It was the Satan that corrupted humanity to the point that God flooded the earth, taking the progeny of Adam and Eve, taking them and telling them, do this, do that, and corrupting them. It was the Satan that likely told Abram to lie to Pharaoh and also to accept Sarah's suggestion to father a child with Hagar, that pushed Abram and Lot to feud and separate that pushed the people to worship the golden calf while Moses was on the mountain, that pushed Saul to disobey God's command, that told David, you can have Bathsheba, no problem, that pushed Solomon farther and farther away from God. We see the Satan in Job where he goes to God and says, God, he only is good because he has everything. He has all your blessings. And convince God to let him attack Job to do everything but take his life in hopes that Job would turn against God. Throughout time, the glass cracked and cracked until it couldn't be repaired. All it could do is be patched. It was irreparably broken. Offerings, religiosity, good deeds, those weren't enough to repair the glass. God promised a new hope, a Messiah, a Messiah who would be the Savior, who'd be God with us, who would carry the government upon his shoulders, be the prince of peace, and by his stripes we would be healed. Now if you stop at the end of the Tanakh and you think that's everything, you are left with this promise of the Messiah and you think the hope hasn't been fulfilled, but yet we know the Messiah came. We know the hope to bring that new glass that repair our chips and breaks and if necessarily completely restore us. I find it interesting the Messiah, Yeshua, didn't come as a king. He didn't come as royalty. He didn't come as a military conqueror. He didn't come from Jerusalem, but came from Galilee. On my personal level, that's like a Jew from Arkansas living in New York, like me. Okay, not that bad, but pretty bad all the same. Um, The Messiah came not as people expected. They wanted a military conqueror to bring freedom from Roman control. Instead, he came as a baby, as a human, as a humble man, the son of a carpenter, and he came offering hope and restoration. He healed the broken, healed the sick, cast out demons, raised the dead, and in his final act, rose from the dead and left the Holy Spirit with us. The name Yeshua means salvation. Salvation from sin, salvation from that brokenness, salvation from a cruel, cruel world. Others have proclaimed themselves or been proclaimed to be Messiah, and yet they brought death, destruction, or longing for more. Bar Kokhba, he was proclaimed to be a Messiah, but he couldn't heal, but he did cause the Jews to be expelled by the Romans. Shabbatai V, great Messiah, right? Yet when confronted by the ruler of the day, he converted, converted to Islam, another great Messiah. The Lubavitch have Menachem Schneerson, the Rebbe, who I guess as far as I know, and I haven't heard differently, is still in the grave and hasn't risen to lead his people. People have searched for outside messiahs, many who lead them to death and destruction. I don't know if many of you remember Jim Jones from the 1970s, the People's Temple. He led the people to what he called a paradise, but instead of hope and salvation, he led them to death and destruction. So how does this all tie together? And I promise I'm keeping this short because of the weather. So um, we are a broken people. 
Our world is full of broken people. The difference is we have the Messiah who heals the brokenness in our lives. He fixes the chips in our glass. Many people out there in this world don't know him, where he is, or how to reach out to him. I find it interesting that when Yeshua healed people, he didn't only heal people of the disease. He would say, go and sin no more. He was healing them of their brokenness. We read that and... We can, some people come to the conclusion that our sin causes sickness, but that's not it at all. Brokenness can cause sickness. Depression can lead to sickness. I'm not minimizing any of that. But all sickness is not related to sin. But Yeshua can heal that sickness, but most of all, he can heal that brokenness. And that brokenness is what needs healing the most. He was saying he can be healed both physically and mentally. The brokenness has been healed that we are new creations, ready to move forward, and through what he did, even though we can have further breaks, he will heal us. Because we're not perfect yet, and perfection won't come until we go be with him in glory. The woman who committed adultery, remember her? People came up, they were ready to stone her. She was going to be stoned. And at the end, what did Yeshua say? All right, you're, you're done, go ahead. No, he said, go and sin no more. He healed her brokenness. <clears throat> something that I read, um, I'm a, I like to read about the Holocaust, not because I think the Holocaust was great, but I like to know it and to pass it on to my children. And I've read about the trials of Nazi criminals afterwards. And one story that has stuck to, with me for 20 years or more related to the trial in Israel of Adolf Eichmann. I don't know if many of you know who Eichmann was. He was a henchman of a top deputy of Adolf Hitler, responsible for the death of many Jews. An older man came to the trial as a witness, and when his time came, because in the trial you're not allowed to be in there until your time comes to testify, he walked in, looked at Eichmann, and ran out in a hurry in tears and shaking. When people asked him why, asked whether it was due to the memories that came back or facing the man who killed so many of his family and friends, he responded no. He said when he walked in, he saw something he didn't expect. He saw in Eichmann a man like himself and realized that but for the grace of God, he could be just like Eichmann. He went in expecting a monster and he saw a man. In the same way, when I see the pictures of these mass killers on TV, I get fearful because they aren't monsters. They're not two-headed people. They don't have horns. They're not monsters. They are men just like me <clears throat> and those I know. They are broken people who allowed the break to continue and continue to the point where the Satan, God's adversary, likely told them the only way out was to take out those who hurt him or take out the innocent, cause maximum damage. They see mass murder as their way to leave their mark on the world. As my wife said today, the way to cleanse the world, to cleanse the world of the problems that they face, to cause maximum damage. And just like them, I'm a person who has been broken over the years, and still I have those chips that arise in my glass or in my windshield. I'm 53 years old, and I have 53 years of brokenness behind me. I didn't have the roughest life, but I also experienced tragedy and hardship in various ways that have molded who I am. And if I hadn't come to believe in Messiah 35 years ago, I don't know where I'd be today. I doubt I'd be a mass murderer because that's not the way my parents brought me up, but I don't know what I'd be like. One thing that people may not know 
is I don't trust my temper. And I can have a temper. Right, Daniel? <laughs> yeah. He's nodding. I can get upset and angry as can any of us. And through Yeshua, through constant prayer, he's brought me to a point where my temper isn't as bad as it was or as bad as it could be. However, I don't trust myself. And because of that, I will tell you I'll never own a gun because life can turn in the blink of an eye and you can be left hopeless, feeling hopeless. And having a gun gives an entrance for the Satan, the adversary, to have a foothold and tell you that's the way out. So today as I wrap up, I'm sad. Knowing that brokenness will continue. Knowing that many are seeking hope. And even though it's in front of them, they refuse to go to the one who can offer hope and healing. I'm sad because any day I expect to wake up to another broken person committing an act of atrocity because they listened to God's adversary instead of listening to the call of God. I am saddened to see the people of God having the power to heal the broken and not being at the forefront of that healing. Instead, we stay in our caves of faith and live without exercising the power given to us. I am saddened to see many people of God living in a continual broken state instead of seeking the healing provided by the Messiah. So today I challenge us, let us come to God to seek healing for that brokenness and turn around and pray for the broken. So I'm going to ask the rabbi and elders to come up, and I want to open up our time here. I'm doing something different. I know people want to get out before the weather gets bad, but I want us to pray for that unhealed brokenness in our lives. I don't want you to come up and tell us what that brokenness is. I want everyone to come up and be prayed for over that brokenness and seek healing. Because remember, by his stripes, we are healed. And then, when everyone's done, I want you to turn around and pray for the rabbi and elders and all who are doing the praying. Because we, too, need prayer as much as you. So if we can all come up here, the rabbi elders, we will all pray together for everyone, praying for that healing, brokenness to be healed. And then you'll pray for us.